And now a reading from God's word. This comes from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, my friends. Merry Christmas. I hope that you have been enjoying the days of your Christmas season together at home. Uh, it seems a little bit strange to read a passage about the Incarnation when we cannot be incarnate together. And even when uh, in the last few weeks, as you have likely heard, our city has moved back to phase one of the Atlanta Strong Plan. Uh, which means that responsively and adapting with our own protocols, we, do, we are not any longer uh, for indefinitely until the data um, changes having people in person. We are back to staff only on Sunday mornings. Um, and please stay tuned for when that can change again and you can register to be with us again. Uh, as we prepare to contemplate the meaning of the word becoming flesh, let us pray together. our Creator. You have sent forth your word into creation at the very beginning. 
to make all things, to hold all things together. And then in the fullness of time, you sent your word to be gathered together in a single person. We are here in his name. We listen in his name. We speak in his name. I pray that you would prepare our own words and our own hearts that Christ might be born again in us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts show forth your word, our creator and redeemer. Amen. We have begun reading longer books lately with our oldest son, Jack, before bedtime. Uh, We began with some Chronicles of Narnia and have recently moved into uh, the first Harry Potter book. Uh, It's been wonderful for me because I remember as a child just being immersed in these stories, loving them, delighting in them, uh, allowing the words and the worlds to take shape around me. I must confess, though, there is a part of me that has found I feel like I'm biding my time for the day that we can finally open up together the works of J.R.R. Tolkien and his expansive fantasy world. It's hard to exaggerate the influence that Tolkien has had on the past 80 years of fantasy storytelling across the board. Even if you haven't read uh, any of his books yourself, uh, you've likely seen some or all of The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, uh, which were famously made into major movie trilogies, one of which is fantastic, the other of which is a disaster. Sorry, not sorry. Um, But take just one step deeper into Tolkien's universe, and you will find a collection of mythic stories entitled The Silmarillion uh, that was published after his death. They tell of uh, the mythic and ancient past of uh, his universe. And it begins with a creation narrative, uh, an origin story of the universe, which I find uh, beautiful, and I return to it often. Uh, It tells that there was the one, the God who was known as Iluvatar. And before anything else was made, Iluvatar made the angelic beings called the Ainur. I promise those are the only two strange words I will introduce in this. So before the creation of the world, Iluvatar gathers together the Ainur and shares with them a great music, a vast heavenly symphony unlike anything conceived before or since. Delighted, the Ainur take their parts and join their voices, the great music filling every depth and height of the heavenly places, and even reverberating out into the void. And it was not void. For then Iluvatar led them out into that void and said to them, Behold your music. And suddenly they not only heard the sound reverberating out in the void, but saw a vision of a world suspended in the void. And Iluvatar shared with them that he desired this to be the home for a new kind of creature, a new being, his own children. Soon the Ainur became so restless and excited. They wanted this not just to be music, not just to be a vision, but to take on 
reality. And so Iluvatar declared, let these things be, and sent a number of them out to fill and fashion the world that is. And the story then reads, for the great music had been but the growth and flowering of thought in the timeless halls, and the vision only a foreshowing, but now they had entered in at the beginning of time, and they perceived that the world had been but foreshadowed and foresung, and they must achieve it. So began their great labors in the wastes unmeasured and unexplored, and in ages uncounted and forgotten, until in the deeps of time and in the midst of the vast halls of the world there came to be that hour and that place where was made the habitation of the children of Iluvatar. Beautiful as it was, this divine music, its meaning was to be made material, to make a home for the Creator's children. Now, this is the movement, similarly, of the prologue of John's Gospel, which is also something of a creation narrative. It begins with the very same words as the book of Genesis, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The writer of this gospel uses the word, the Greek word for word, logos, in a way that draws together a number of different sources and traditions during the time of its writing. It was first just the common and colloquial use of the term logos, used to refer to either an inward thought or an outward expression, either reason or speech. And then, uh, in the ancient philosophy of Stoicism, took this idea and made it a much more expansive concept. For them, the logos was the, the principle of order and meaning in the whole universe. Uh, but this logos, this principle, was not static. It was active. It was spreading out into the universe and animating it, almost like the soul of the world. It was, you might say, the music of the spheres to which all things were tuned. A first century Jewish thinker named Philo of Alexandria took these sorts of ideas about the Logos and combined them with Jewish theology, referring to the Logos as the mind, the wisdom of God, which creates all things. Philo used scripture to express this, uh, pulling from Hebrew wisdom literature. For instance, in Proverbs 8, when wisdom is, is personified and speaks, saying, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. And so wisdom is depicted as an agent of creation alongside God. I share all this because the writer of the gospel draws all of these strands together, but even more significantly with the poetry and the personification of the divine word takes a step further than these predecessors. The word became flesh and dwelt among us quite completely personified. Not only as the inaccessible wisdom of God or the underlying logic of all the universe, 
but as now a person. The word was now not only everywhere, but here. Not in fragment, not in portion, but fullness in a person. The word, literally it says, pitched a tent, became as portable as a human body. One commentator warns about uh, making the mistake of reading these early verses as a poem about life in heaven rather than about life on earth. While the word was once either sealed in the ether or spread throughout the universe, for the gospel writer now, the word is making a home with and within humanity, making a family. This is the cosmic crescendo of creation and of all that has come before. As Maximus the Confessor, a church father, would later write, the Word of God and God wills always and in all things to accomplish the mystery of His embodiment. The Word of God and God wills always and in all things to accomplish the mystery of His embodiment. This is the grand theme of Christmas that we not only celebrate, but in which we take part always and in all things, including us, those who are created by the Word. But the Gospel writer is clear that this new beginning, this new begetting, this new birthing continues in us who receive and believe in Christ. We too become children, members of Christ's family, members of His very body. You are a portion of God because you are a person within whom the Word dwells. God becomes what you are, and so now you embody God. Your life is poetry. And we often think about poetry as collections of words and lines, often with rhyme and rhythm to express something deep or beautiful. The Greek word poesis means both doing and making. It means bringing something new into being. And in this way, your life is poetry. You bring new meaning into the world simply by being you. The world knows something more of the wisdom and poetry of God Himself because of you. And the grand music the great music of God's grace and glory in Jesus is being played out in countless variations in each one of us. We are, as a hymn puts it, words within the Word. Some have called this uh, the divine spark. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins talked about the inscape, that unique that intrinsic uniqueness, the individuality, the identity of a, a specific thing that inevitably shows itself. And his poem, As Kingfishers Catch Fire, powerfully expresses this. Part of it reads, Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells, selves, gives itself, myself, it speaks and spells, crying, 
What I do is me, for that I came. Hopkins continues by connecting this unique voice of each thing with Christ. Each acts in God's eye. What is, pardon me, I'll start over. Each acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the face, features of men's faces. What wonderful and overwhelming work to give shape and sound to the word of God in a way that only you can. How do we begin? I was once teaching an evening class. I believe it was a, a course on spiritual disciplines. And we're about a dozen of us um, meeting around a large square of folding tables. Uh, we hit upon the topic of uh, speech, of controlling and caring for the words we use, the things we say, and how we say them. One woman who had hardly said uh, anything through the whole course nervously chimed in. She was astounded, she said, and almost frightened by the power of our words. How every day one phrase, whether thoughtful, thoughtless, or kind, or cruel, one cliche, one inflection in tone, or even one look, or sound, or something unsaid, could live with someone for years to come, whether haunting them or heartening them. Now she had a, a somewhat wavering voice to begin with, but as she continued, it grew somehow both stronger and more tender. We have no idea how much our words matter. She finished, there were tears in her eyes, and everybody there was silent for more than a moment. I'm sure some of them out of discomfort, but I hope others in awe. For she was sensitive to the mystery that our words are always being made flesh. This is why Paul urges believers to take every thought captive, not because the Christian life is a battle in the mind, but because the patterns of our thoughts, the stories of our hearts, the ideas and habits are always taking shape in our choices, in our bodies, our homes, our relationships. We sing the songs that are stuck in our head. Much of how we uh, are embodied in the world has to do with the messages that we receive or refuse, just as John makes the distinction between those who received or refused Christ. So one way we witness to the Word is by tending to that inscape, untangling the words woven into our own hearts and minds. What do I spend my time thinking about? What do I tell myself? What am I already convinced of? What do I think is the problem, and whose fault do I think it is? What do I not let myself believe is possible? All of these things are already being made flesh. 
And often with these questions, these thoughts, our inscape, that word unique to us that is being called forth from us to take flesh is cluttered, suffocated, much like a world that is still chaotic and being created, wastes unmeasured and unexplored. We are often not yet at home with ourselves and so struggle to have God at home with us. So here, at the new beginning of a year, if we hope to share and shape and show forth the Word of God, let us return to and receive that gracious and truthful message that we are children of God. And so begins our great labors to continue the incarnation of the Word, not in principle, but in our person. To continue a new creation where God is at home with us, we are at home with ourselves, and we are at home with one another. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you.